What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Chord Chronicles. And wow, 1971. We've already made Hi. it all the way. Yes, and we've made it all the way through 1970, and it was great. Lot of ups. Very little downs. Some downs. You know, if I'm being honest with it. But, but this year's going to be even better. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to 1971 and to see what it has in store for us. But it's weird because the first album, I'm not going to get into it yet, but I will say it's still the past in a lot of ways. <laughs> I would say that. But, um, you know, it's been a pretty good, you know, New Year's, I think, for me. I didn't do a whole lot. I tried to get set up for 1971 because... I can't believe I'm saying it. We are current, ladies and gentlemen, because we're starting the year off right. This is what happens when you can plan. <laughs> but, yeah, New Year's I, was all right. But, I mean, did, did you have a pretty good New Year's? I did. And I got to come and see you over the weekend. Don't worry, guys. We were distanced. We were safe about it. It's the first time we have been together in person in over a year. Yeah, we should have recorded something, but we just, uh, you know, <laughs> it, was a, it was a lot. It was a crazy day. Let's yeah. just say that. There was a lot going on. But, you know, I think I'm just going to get right into it because even though we are well prepared, we still have a lot of music. What was it? Over 500 albums we're going to be talking about this year. Yes, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> It's a lot, but I don't know. I think 500 in a whole year compared to over 300 in six months, we can do it. So I will go ahead and say there won't be an off the record this week because the way we have it set up, there are fewer albums. There, there will be fewer albums um, every week, guys, because we have a whole year, but we won't have an off the record this week. It will be coming back next week. So, and we'll see how it goes from here on out. It may become bi-weekly because, uh, you know, there's just not as much. And we don't only want to talk about two albums. Maybe four. <laughs> and that's about what we have this week. But I'm just going to get right into it. Like I said before, it seems like as much as we are going forward, we are still in the past quite a bit because our first album, it came out January 2nd, 1971. And this is one of my personal favorite artists, Elvis Presley. Elvis Country, and in parentheses, I'm 10,000 years old. <laughs> that was interesting. I'm going to say that. The, the album cover is pretty cool. It's a picture of Elvis when he's a, a little kid. And it was pretty cool. He's wearing wearing the hat, and just I don't know. It uh, gives him, it gives it a roots feel to it, and I think that's what they were going for, with because he grew up. And he's from Memphis. I think he originally. I don't think he grew up with money. So, he was poor. So that, that's what it. What I think he's going for was the roots feel of that. But uh, this album, I mean, I'm familiar with Elvis. Obviously, everyone is, but like the hits mainly. I've never actually sat down 
and listen to an Elvis album, except for, you know, greatest hits or something like that. I've never delved into his catalog like this. And I'm actually not as big a fan of his country stuff when he goes country as some of the rock and the rockabilly. That's more my stuff. You know, if I'm being perfectly honest before we even get into this. But, I mean, he has an amazing voice. You know, that's obvious. Strong voice. And most of this album, though, my big complaint about it would be its covers. There's only, I think, one original song on this album. And I don't remember which song of the 12 is an original. So I I apologize for that. I can tell you I'm going to point out a couple tracks because of their covers. He covers the first song on the album, Snowbird. We covered that in 1970. That's Anne Murray. Uh, She did a better job, if I'm being perfectly honest with you. I like her version of it better. I like her version of it better than Elvis, and I like her version of it better than another artist that we're going to be talking about pretty soon. (laughs) I guess this Snowbird song is going to be the new Beatles thing. No, it's the new Bridge Over Troubled Water. Yeah, maybe it is. (laughs) But um, He also covered Whole Lot of Shaking Going On, which was a Jerry Lee Lewis song. Well, I think, I don't know if it's a Jerry Lee Lewis song, but it's a song that Jerry Lee Lewis made big and and probably you know made it his own so that's what when i think whole lot of shaking going on that's what i think but he he covered in a willie nelson song it was not a willie nelson song i was familiar with and i went and i listened to the willie version i like the willie nelson version better but it's willie's song so um like i said i i'm a huge elvis fan so it was hard for me to go into this because I was going into it expecting you know those rockabilly type hits and this is Elvis Country I'm not a huge fan of the of country but that being said I, I was a I still really like this album and before I try to give any stars on it or anything I'm going to turn it over to you and see what your thoughts are on it and then we can go from there I am not a huge fan of Elvis. I appreciate I appreciate the impact that he had and what he did for rock and roll in general as a genre. But he's not one of my favorite artists other than that. But I did like this album and I actually liked several of the covers. I do know several of these songs. Um, like Funny How Time Slips Away was the Willie Nelson one and I do know that song I don't know Willie's version of it as well but I know the version uh, well I'm, <laughs> I'm drawing a blank now on who it is but I do know that song but I thought that Elvis did a pretty good job on it but I actually really liked his cover of Snowbird that's one that I made a note of that it was a good cover, and I thought it really fit his voice. So, I don't know that I like it better than Anne Murray's. You know, I probably still do like hers better, but I thought he did a good job on it. Well, I mean, hers is better, so, I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I haven't listened to hers for a while. And I, I'm going to cut in and say the the single from the album was "I Really Don't Want to Know," and the B side was "There Goes My Everything." So, I'm I'm familiar with those two yeah. songs, but I, you know, right offhand, I don't know. But I'm not that familiar with country music like that. So, Dallas Frazier, I don't know the writer. <laughs> no, I don't either. And neither of those songs really made much of an impression on me. Um, but I did like also his cover of Make the World Go Away. That's another song that I am familiar with. And I thought that Elvis did a really good job on that one. One that I didn't know originally, but I enjoyed. I washed my hands in dirty water. I just thought that one was really catchy and fun. So... It's not really my normal style of music to listen to. It was a little more gospel-y. The gospel side of country. But I thought it was a lot of fun to listen to. And he was using, I wanted to mention, he was using the Imperials for backing vocals during this time period. I just reviewed them on, I think it was our final off the record of 1970. And they had been working as a backing band with him for quite some time. They are a gospel band, but they are also featured on this album along with the Jordanaires. So, that's really all I have to add, though. Yeah, and I, like when I was looking at the notes for this, it, look, so it looks like nearly every style of country music is represented. I will say that, but most of it's because he's covering songs. I mean, you have bluegrass, honky-tonk, um, Western Swing, Rockabilly, and one that I saw called Country Politan. <laughs> I saw that too. I've never heard that before. Me either. It, I guess it has something to do with the Nashville sound. So, I mean, it makes sense. This does have that. This one has more of the Nashville country sound and less of that Memphis rock sound that I'm used to hearing from Elvis. So, but... The one thing that I'm going to point out that hurt this album for me was between every song he played, they play like this interlude of, I guess it's I'm 10,000 years old. It's a, it's a gospel song. I'm not against the song. I'm not, you know, if they would have put it at the very end or just somewhere in the listings, that's fine. I'm fine with that. But it's, it was so annoying between every song to play like five, ten seconds of a song to get you, I mean, it makes you really interested in the song. And just as I'm really starting to pay attention to it, they go into another track. So that hurt this album for me. Whoever decided on that for the production should be smacked upside the head because that was ignorant. <laughs> that was ignorant. This is the, the B, this is the uh, PG show, so I have to be nice-ish. But that was absolutely ignorant. And, and um, you know, I'm not going to go through the listing of personnel because it is pretty, it's pretty big. It, it's not just Elvis, we'll say that. And like you said, the Imperials did do some backing stuff. But this was hard for me because I'm a big Elvis fan. But I really wanted a little more. It's still good. But that... You know, all that that music in the interlude just really irritated me, so I dinged it. This is a three and a half star for me. 
Uh, what did you give it? I was actually pleasantly surprised. I went into this knowing that I don't typically love Elvis's music. So I really wasn't sure what I would think. And I wasn't really looking forward to it. But I enjoyed it more than I expected. And I thought he sounded pretty good on it. So I actually gave it four stars. So I'm starting the year off stingy, so that's but that's fine because when it's someone that is my you know, one of my top music artists, then I expect a little more. Maybe that's high standards. Yeah. I would say that. But you know, it looks like we have an Amy's All Alone segment coming up, the very first one of nineteen seventy one. And I'm anxious to hear what you thought about your album because my album was linked with yours. It's funny, guys. I'm just going to (laughs) say, King Crimson, (laughs) the next two two albums that we talk about has a a big big, uh, influence on it. But we're going to take a quick break because we're going to go to Amy's All Alone. And then we're just going to go right into Jeff's Just Jamming, I think. Because those two albums came out the same day, January 3rd. And they're tied together in quite some ways. But we'll be right back, guys. Hey, everybody. It's Amy. And I'm all alone again. And this is our first Amy's All Alone of 2021. Well, I can't believe that we actually made it here, to be honest, but I'm so happy. This is going to be a good year. At least for music, if nothing else. But I'm trying to be positive and just keep my fingers crossed and believe that it will be, if not a good year, at least better than last year. Anyway, I digress. I have an album to talk about. And that is Ian McDonald and Michael Giles' McDonald and Giles. Ian McDonald and Michael Giles were both in King Crimson originally. They had both left the band. Um, They were featured performers on In the Court of the Crimson King which came out in 1969, but they left the group at the end of the the group's U.S. tour, also in 1969. Michael Giles was on In the Wake of, of Poseidon as a session musician. We reviewed that album last year. There are also a couple of other King Crimson members that worked on this album, Peter Giles, I didn't think to look. I meant to, but I forgot. But I'm wondering if Michael Giles and Peter Giles are related. I'm assuming they are, but I don't know. Anyway, also Peter Sinfield, also a King Crimson member, and he did work on this album as well. This album... No. Wikipedia will tell you it came out in November of 1970. But our information tells us it came out in 1971 in the U.S., so I'm guessing that that is the U.K. release date. It was... No, it's prog rock, which is fine. 
And it sounds like prog rock. One of the songs, Flight of the Ibis, is supposedly similar to King Crimson's Cadence and Cascade. I'll be honest, I didn't remember that song well enough to say whether it was really that similar, but that's just what you'll read if you read about this album. There's also a guest appearance by Steve Winwood of Traffic, and also a solo artist. He played organ and piano on the Turnham Green section of the first track, which is Sweet in C. The album as a whole, you know, it had more of the 70s flute that we've talked about in our previous episodes, and a lot of other interesting instruments as well. It has... Let's see. Well, let me just go over the personnel. Ian McDonald played guitar, piano, organ, saxes, multiple, flute, clarinet, zither, vocals, of course, and sundries. Michael Giles played drums and percussion, including milk bottle, hand saw, lip whistle, and nut box, and more vocals. Peter Giles, bass guitar, Steve Winwood, organ and piano solo on Turnham Green. Michael Blakesley played trombone on Tomorrow's People. And there's also strings and brass on Birdman, which is another suite, and the Sweet NC. There was a lot of skilled musicianship here. I really think that these people are very talented, but it wasn't really an overly interesting final product to me. The most interesting thing about it that I noticed, according to Wikipedia, there's a drum solo in the song Tomorrow's People, The Children of Today, and that has supposedly been sampled uh, most notably by the Beastie Boys on Body Moving. I can't confirm that. I wasn't able to confirm that the solo is actually in the Beastie Boys song. It's interesting if it is. <laughs> I don't know if you could hear that, but that was my cat, Boris. You know, he's not very happy about me being able, unable to confirm that, I guess. Anyway, the rest of it, it was okay, but... Not really anything to write home about. I did give it an extra half star just for the fact that there are interesting instruments. There are a lot of different instruments played by only a few people and they're played well. So for me, McDonald and Giles is a three and a half star album. And I don't think I'm entirely alone in rating it in that. I don't think it was super popular. I think it had maybe some moderate success, but I also think they only did one or two albums together. So, I don't know. I don't actually have that in my notes, I just remember reading it somewhere. But anyway, three and a half stars for me, but if you like prog rock, still give it a listen. It is worth listening to at least once. Alright guys, that's it for Amy's All Alone. I am going to go rejoin my brother and we're going to talk about some more albums. So we'll be right back.
What's up everybody? Welcome to Jeff's Just Jammin'. The very first Jeff's Just Jammin' for 1971. And I'm really excited to see what 1971 has in store. Because 70 was an amazing year. I reviewed some great albums. And I don't think I had a bad album for Jeff's Just Jammin'. It's been great throughout the year. Or it was. So, 1971 actually is going to start out with a band that I'm already familiar with because we reviewed an album from this band from 70 and 1969 an album came out by them that I was already familiar with. The band is King Crimson. The album that I'm going to talk about actually right now is Lizard and it came out January 3rd 1971. So I mean we are 50 years ago now for this week. So I'm really excited for that because last year was really hard. We started six months in, so we had to try to cram everything in. Well, now we actually have time. So that's great. And I hope everyone else is ready for this ride because we have a lot of albums. But like I said before, we've already talked about King Crimson before. We reviewed In the Wake of Poseidon which came out in 70, I think we gave it three and three quarter stars combined. So it was pretty big success. I believe I liked it more than Amy did because I'm a bigger fan of Progressive than she is. And a lot of their stuff is definitely Progressive. It has strong jazz elements as well. And the personnel for Lizard is quite a bit different than the previous album and I mean honestly the band was in just upheaval and disarray from the start the first album you had people like Robert Fripp Michael Giles Greg Lake like Emerson Lincoln Palmer that's amazing Ian McDonald and Peter Sinfield so that was in the court of the Crimson King the very first album and then in the wake of Poseidon you had Robert Fripp and Peter Sinfield. And then Michael Giles, Greg Lake still were around, but I think they were getting ready to leave. And then future King Crimson, Mel Collins and Gordon Haskell. And you had Peter Giles and Keith Tippett. And you had um, like Tony Page and Robin Thompson doing recording and engineering. So it, it changed up quite a bit there. Well, Lizard was no different, honestly. The, um, like the band, like I said, did go through some changes. The personnel on this album is Robert Fripp. He plays guitar, does Mellotron, organ, a lot of organ-like devices and things like that. Uh, you had Peter Sinfield providing lyrics, uh, the pictures, the sleeve conception, and the production. So he's the artist. Mel Collins on saxophone and flute. Gordon Haskell is around, providing bass, guitar, and vocals. And Annie McCullough on drums. And then you did have quite a few additional musicians. And I'll just run through them real quick. You had Keith Tippett on acoustic and electric piano. Robin Miller on oboe and English horn. Mark Cherig on cornet. I had to pause at that because it looked like I put Mike, uh, or Mark Chang, but it's Cherig. Nick Evans on trombone. John Anderson actually provides vocals on one song. And then you had Tony Levin bass on one song as well. And I think that that happened later on down the road. 
because this album has been re-released and this album isn't popular with the band I believe um, they thought it was I don't want to say too much but in a way but it's conceptual I mean their albums are they always are they I mean every I think every album we've reviewed by them has a huge concept and they try to wrap it all up into a package and I think they actually do a, a pretty good job with this album um, it starts with circus at c-i-r-k-u-s and um, it involves an indoor games happy family and lady of the dancing water and they all sound a little bit different but like I said Robert Fripp one of the the band members he's very critical of this album he calls it unlistenable and lovers of this album is very strange and he actually did revise his opinion once he listened to Stephen Wilson's new surround sound mix of the album because they had that in the 40th anniversary issue and for the first time he heard the music within the music and which that might have been how I heard it because like I listened on really good headphones and it the sound was really good the production's great I don't really care for I mean I like long songs but I don't care for side B of this album lizard it's a suite a musical suite I mean they're want to do that sometimes so I don't you know I wasn't surprised by it because they've done it before but it's like 23 and a half minutes long it's not accessible I get it it ties everything back around so yes I get it but it's not something I'm gonna go back and listen to again but I do like uh, like circus it has this sinister vibe to it and it's actually talking about a creation story they're tying it up like circus but the lyrics are talking about space and the formation of the galaxy so it's it's very intelligent and one of these songs you know I mentioned happy family that's actually about the Beatles and in particular the breakup of the Beatles so they don't mention them by names but it tells the story of four and then four guys and the names are very similar I don't I can't remember if they all start um, you know with the, like by the, the first name of the band I don't think so because Jude becomes Judas in this and there you know it from there and therefore and keep you keep can keep going on it but I don't want to get too deep into that but I thought that was pretty cool um, now sometimes like later on down the line the reception of this has been better I mean in 2011 pop matters they named this uh, lizard as one of the 20 like the 25 best progressive rock songs of all times so they like it a lot better than I do I just I like progressive but I guess I guess I just can't stay in that involved for that long 23 and a half minutes was exceeding my attention so if I were able to just put it on, maybe if maybe if I were in a different frame of mind, I don't know. But this album, very strong. I liked it as well. And, you know, like I said, I liked their previous two albums. I'm anxious to see what's what's coming up because they have an album, Islands, 
I don't know if I'll have it on Jeff's Just Jamming or if we'll both review it. I guess we'll see about that. But I am a big fan of this album. I say it's four stars. So we're starting the year with a four-star album. So you can't complain about that. I do recommend everyone check out King Crimson, Lizard, but try to listen to it on a surround sound system. And, I mean, try to get that that uh, 1940 version. I believe it's on, that's what's on Spotify. I believe there's additional tracks. And try to listen to those to get the, the true feel of the album. But yeah, definitely check this album out because I say this one is great. And I'm anxious to see what King Crimson has in store. But, you know, I'm looking and I think that's um, all I have to say about King Crimson for now. But they're going to be around. You know what? I have lots more music to listen to. The music never stops. And neither do I. Have a good day, guys. Alright, and we're back. And you know, peek under the hood, guys. 50 years ago, from the day we're recording this, the album we're getting ready to talk about. And I actually got a notification earlier in my Google about this, that it was 50 years ago this album was released. Because it's a big one. It really is. Very influential. And it's funny, this this, um, episode is going to be heavily country influenced. (laughs) <laughs> we had the Elvis country and now looks like we're having like I said January 4th 1971 Loretta Lynn coal miner's daughter I mean who hasn't heard that song who ha- I mean it's it's the movie the movie actually came out I believe in like 1980 later on what's that sissy spacek I believe yeah it's yes. been a long time since I've seen it but, I mean, our mother really likes Loretta Lynn and, and, you know, can really put herself in those shoes because she's a coal miner's daughter. So, I think Loretta Lynn has a special place in her heart as far as that goes. For me, I'm not a coal miner's daughter. I mean, you were, in a way, for a little bit. Yeah, in a, in a way I am, but... I can't relate as directly to Loretta Lynn's experiences as mom can. She had a similar upbringing, much more than I did. Yeah, she wasn't born in Butcher Holler. But, I mean, they lived in the Holler. We will say that, guys. But, like I said, I'm not the biggest country music fan, but I'm really familiar, and I do like the song Coal Miner's Daughter. Now... I noticed this album, just like the Elvis album before it, is has quite a few covers. But it's funny because, like, Coal Miner's Daughter, her song. The next song, Hello Darling, Conway Twitty. Well, she's getting ready to have a, an album with Conway Twitty, I think, here in a couple episodes. That we'll be talking about, if I, if I remember correctly. I may be off a little bit on that, but I did see it. So it looks like Conway Twitty and Loretta Lynn are starting to 
kind of kind of come together to make music. So that's kind of cool because I'm familiar with some of their stuff together. I like Conway Twitty. Her version of Hello Darling, it's okay. It wasn't my favorite. Um, I, I did like her cover of Less of Me, Glenn, Couple, uh, Glenn Campbell. I, I, I actually really did like that. <laughs> some of the stuff I didn't like, and I don't know if it's because of the times. Um, It's so stereotypically country. Like some of the stuff... <laughs> about cheating about the a man uh the man of the house and a man not being around and one of the song titles is another man loved me last night and i mean the, the subject matter is she's cheating because he's too busy working <laughs> well i mean you just get divorced uh you know that, but that's that, i don't want to get into that but that took me out of it in a lot of ways and I was a little irritated because the last song on this album, wouldn't you know it, it's Snowbird. The third best cover of Snowbird that I've heard so far. I'm not trying to really, I'm not trying to talk badly about Loretta Lynn. This album's pretty good. It really is. It's not my style, but it is good. But the version, like her version of Snowbird, but if you stack it next to Anne Murray or Elvis, I think it's probably the weakest. It's not bad, but those two are, are better, in my opinion. But I think the Anne Murray original, I don't even know that it's her original. I believe it's another Canadian songwriter. But but her version of it was my absolute favorite of the three. You know, But that's really all I have to say about it, other than I can see why it's so influential. It is a, a, a big, a good story. It really is. And... I mean, people agreed it became a movie later. But I'm going to turn it over to you and see what you have to say about it. And then we can talk about this star rating thing. (laughs) I agree. Um, Where Loretta Lynn really does excel is her ability to tell a story. Her music just feels authentic and relatable. Even though I can't relate directly to Coal Miner's Daughter. There's usually something that somebody can relate to. Although, I do also agree with you about the content being dated and a little annoying at times. I mentioned that last year when we covered one of her albums. It seems like she goes back and forth between being this strong, tough woman and then needing her man. It's just a weird juxtaposition. But I did like the album, you know, Coal Miner's Daughter. Now, first of all, it does have some bad lyrics. I mean, <laughs> I'm just going to quote some of the lyrics here. The work we done was hard. At night we'd sleep because we were tired. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, they're not great lyrics, but it's a catchy song and it's a good story and she tells it well. So I do like that song. I actually liked her cover of Hello Darling. I thought she did a good job on that. So we'll disagree on that one. But I agree with you on Less of Me. I made a note of that one. And I thought that What Makes Me Tick was just fun and catchy. Um, I agree on Snowbird. I thought she did a pretty good job on it. But 
I need to go back and listen to Anne Murray's again. Anne Murray is the queen. I definitely. She killed it. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely thought that Elvis's version was better, but yeah, I'm pretty sure we're gonna get tired of Snowbird pretty quick. I made a note of it too. It's gonna be the new Beatles or the Bridge Over Troubled Water. Everybody's gonna be covered. Well, in a sick sort of way, I'm anxious to see who covered it next. <laughs> You're yeah, glad exactly. for punishment. But that's all I have to add. You know, I think we're pretty much in agreement on Loretta Lynn. Um, you know, it's entertaining. It's not my original style, my first my go to for the lyrics. I mean, like you said, <laughs> we were tarred and all that. It just it's not my thing. But I can see why it's so influential. The story is great. I gave it four stars. Now what'd you give it? I gave it four as well, so you're not stingy on this one. We agree. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's definitely worth checking out. I strongly invite everyone and check out the movie as well. It's a good movie. I think Sissy Spacek probably won awards for that, if I'm not mistaken. Now, <laughs> the next album, the last album of the week, we've already reviewed the debut album from 1970 by this band, Five Stars. You know what? This is five stars too. I'm just gonna go ahead and throw it out there. You know why? Yeah. Oh my god. January seventh, nineteen seventy one, Black Sabbath dropped Paranoid on us. And they'd already, you know, introduced us to Doom Metal with their, you know, Black Sabbath debut. And like I said, five stars. This one I didn't get to listen to the songs, you know, like they are were originally. I had to listen to the remastered Paranoid, so I believe they're they're put together. <laughs> you know, like War Pigs is as as included with uh, Luke's Wall and things like that. But there's not a bad song on this album. You start with War Pigs, you get into Paranoid. I mean, who doesn't know Paranoid? That guitar riff is so iconic planet caravan such an underrated song i love that underwater feel that effect they put on his vocals i tell you another really good cover of planet caravan the band pantera covered this song and killed it it's a good cover of this song but this song really great like we said iron man is on this my favorite song on the album, though, is actually Electric Funeral. I don't know why. That's that wow, 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 wow. That's just metal. That's what it is. And, I mean, you have Hand of Doom, Fairies Wear Boots. I mean, I've, I don't normally go track by track, but they're all just so good. And they're all so badass. Use my one expletive for this. It's, it's worth it. I mean, it's the same personnel that were that they had. For the debut, Ozzy Osbourne on vocals. You got Tommy Iommi on guitar, and actually he plays flute on Planet Caravan, which was kind of cool. Geezer Butler, one of my favorites, on bass, and then Bill Ward drums, and then he he plays congas on Planet Caravan. Planet Caravan is a little different. It has that underwater vocal effect feel to it, and it has congas and flute, and it's different. And it looks like this album is different than it's quite a bit the sound is different than black sabbath 
their debut. They've moved away from the blues quite a bit. That blues rock, that's not quite as present here. This is more rock and metal. So they're, you know, and more of the doom metal stuff. I love it. This is, I don't know which is better, this one or, or their debut, if I'm being honest with you. But like I said, I've already said five stars, but I'm going to let you talk about it and see what you have to say. I have very little to add. I mean, I completely agree with what you've already said. I try to be really objective going into this, but I felt like I didn't even have to listen to this album. I already was ready to rate it just from looking at the track listing. I mean, War Pigs, Iron Man, Paranoid, you can tell just by seeing those songs listed, this is a five-star album. That's all you need to know. I did listen to it, just because I wanted to, but the only thing I really have to add is, if you search for this album, you will sometimes see a 1970 release date for it. It was released September 18th, 1970 in the UK. But our January date is for the U.S. Which technically, I guess they had two five-star albums in 1970. So they're the best, they're the best artists of 1970. Yeah, because I'm definitely giving it five stars as well. This album is amazing. This is going to be the, one of the best albums of the year. In a year full of good albums. I already know though. And I don't think they have another album coming up in this year. I don't believe. Maybe, yes, they do. Master of Reality, I think that's another good one as well. But it's not as iconic as Paranoid, I don't believe. But I think it's still really good. I don't know what all's on that. But I'm really looking forward to it. Black Sabbath's going to be one of my absolute favorite bands of all time now, I think. I mean, I already you know knew all these songs. But just to set, realize that those are all on the same album, my goodness. Right. <laughs> and Ozzy Osbourne is like such a a genius a musical genius for his lyrics and just everything and he, you know it's so understated because of all the drugs and just everything he really is but all those the guitar riffs and everything they're all so iconic all of these songs are so iconic oh yeah and you know with that being the last album of the week what a way to end the week i can't believe it i mean to end on such a high note Next week's going to be pretty good, too, though. I don't know about the Jeff's Just Jamming segment because I haven't previewed that yet, just a little bit of it. But I have John Lee Hooker and Canned Heat. Hooker and Heat. So, interesting title. We'll see. They're being tongue-in-cheek with that. I'm uh, I'm worried about being underwhelmed because I'm a fan of both those artists, but we'll see how it goes. I'm a huge fan of John Lee Hooker. But... I don't know what what he did did with Canned Heat. We'll see how that goes. We actually both are going to be talking about two huge albums as well. Chicago. Chicago 3. And Janis Joplin's Pearl. (laughs) And, wow. That was... We'll get into it next week. But that album came out posthumously. Like she had died when that one came out. I think three months this is that came out three months after she died, so it's kind of sad. And you listen to the quality and the power, because yes, I have listened to that one already, guys. <laughs> I'm familiar with that one, and 
Yes. It's bittersweet. You know, what might have been if she had lived. And the only other album we will have next week, you'll be all alone. And you'll listen to ZZ Top. ZZ Top's first album. Oh, how inventive. What a creative album title. <laughs> Is it their first album? Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> it might be kind of cool if it's not, though. I... I didn't check. I just assumed it was, but now I'm wondering. <laughs> it might be kind of funny. You know, I, I don't think I'm that familiar with their early stuff. I will tell you this. The band Trapeze was touring with ZZ Top at this time and absolutely blowing them off the stage. So maybe that forced them to go toward a more what they became later. I don't know. I don't know what all's on this album. But I'm going to listen to that one as well because I'm a huge ZZ Top fan. But that's next week, guys. So if you're following along, you have plenty of time. And we are going to be current because 50 years ago, guys, it's hard to imagine. Like, it's hard to imagine any, any of these albums being 50 years old. But I can't believe it. And this is what this journey's all about. You know. But... I'm looking at the clock. It's getting late. And like you said, we said before, 517, or I think, whatever. Over 500 albums <laughs> that we have to listen to. So I think we need to get uh, stop talking about it and listening a little bit more. So I hope everyone has a nice, safe week. I've already said it before. I'm not going to get into it in 1971. In 2021 everyone knows what they need to do but just be nice and be sure to listen to lots of good music and enjoy <laughs> <laughs>